0: You are listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Genesis 22. If you have a Bible, turn there. Um, Let me read this to you. Um, Genesis 22 to verse 14. And then let me pray. First one, after these things, after Isaac was born, after Ishmael has left now, um, after Isaac has grown a little bit, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, "Abraham," He said, "Here I am." He said, "Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains." And come again to you. And Abraham took wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, Son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound up Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you, not, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket behind his horns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, "The Lord will provide as it is to this day." On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's pray. God, I think that a lot of us have to confess in following you at times, it feels like following you is killing us. It feels that to be obedient to you, something in us has to die. Something that we love dearly. And God, it's confusing. I don't know, Lord, if somebody is going through that right now or has gone through that or will go through that. But sometimes following you, Lord, is very difficult. I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us understanding, that you would speak to our hearts by the Holy Spirit as we walk through this account of your nature, of your character, of who you are, and how much you love us, God. Please show us, please reveal to us, Lord, I pray that you would use me. I desperately need your help to teach this, to explain this. More than anything, I can speak to ears, but only you can speak to hearts. You can speak to people's hearts right now and apply this in ways I could never apply it. We look to you and we ask for faith to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you're new at church um, and you're here to learn about God, You've probably been to other spiritual centers. I know that San Francisco is a a very spiritually open place. I know that people visit Zen centers and other churches quite frequently just to hear what they have to say about God and who God is. And as you go to these other places, they might teach you how to meditate better or handle stress better or to find your center or to get your prayers answered or to feel real good about God. But if you've been here for the last several weeks, we've been dealing with some very heavy content. As I read that text, you're like, wait a second, this is church? Like, that was a pretty heavy thing. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God judges and destroys two entire cities by throwing down fire and brimstone from heaven. And here, God is telling one of the most faithful and faith-filled figures in the entire Bible to sacrifice his son, to take his son, put him on an altar, bind him to it, cut open his throat, cut him into pieces, and then light him on fire as a sacrifice to God. You're like, wait a minute. This is not, this does not sound like good meditation. This does not sound like good God. This does not sound like good church. Why are you studying this? For the past several months, we've been looking at the book of Genesis. And in our text today, we have probably one of the most famous stories in the entire Old Testament. Probably one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. And it's famous both for its literary beauty, the way the narrator kind of tells this story, how it goes really fast and it slows down on certain details, and how the angel of the Lord breaks in and delivers, and how there's a ram, like all these beautiful things come out in this story. But it's also very... Popular because of its shocking implications. This story is recorded in the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh. It's recorded in the Christian Bible and in the Quran, the Islamic Bible. But what does this story mean? As we talked about when we opened up, what does this story mean? Like a lot of stories we've been coming, to, uh, coming across in Genesis, it contains subjects that make us modern people squirm. It should. Subjects like today, for instance, God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. How can God ask for a child sacrifice? How can God want the living God, the God of grace and truth, the God of love and mercy, how can that God call for a man to sacrifice his son? It sounds like it goes against everything that God is. And to be completely honest with you, I have a hard time with this section of the Bible. I know there might be some of you who grew up in church that this is just what it is. But I've I've wrestled, I have a very difficult time with this. I've read a lot of people who have, um, uh, I've read a lot of people who've tried to explain this away or deal with this sacrifice, but to tell you the truth, I just can't get over it. I know that at the very beginning, it says that God is testing him. So God, in a sense, is never going to go through with it. He's just testing. But to Abraham, it wasn't a test. It was reality. It was true. He was going to kill his son. And it's really hard. It doesn't sit well with me. And I'm just being completely honest. Now, we'll deal with that in a second. But first, let me deal with the text. And the way I want to look at the text this morning is this, the nature of the test and the promise of hope. Now, the the majority of our time this morning is going to be spent unpacking that first point, the nature of the test. I want you to get the nature of the test. What is God really asking Abraham to do here? What is God doing? And I pray that during this time, that maybe God is going to apply this to your life. Maybe in some way, God's going to show you some things in your own life, in my own life. And lastly, the promise of hope. First, the nature of the test. This is the nature of the test. This is the last time, and it actually has a very good way, it goes full circle, the way, way God started to talk to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and the way it is here in Genesis chapter 22, the last time God speaks to Abraham, it makes its way full circle. And it says, Abraham, take your son where in Genesis 12, Abraham didn't have a son. Sarah was barren. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Whom you love. Now, the reason why he says your only son Isaac, just before this, Ishmael is gone. Ishmael left, and God told Abraham, let him leave. The promise is now to Isaac, I'm gonna... I'm gonna continue your line, continue your name, continue your inheritance, your blessing, your favor through Isaac. Let Ishmael go. It's okay, let him go. I'm gonna bless him. I'm gonna make him a nation, but but you have to deal with Isaac now. He's your only son now. And so God says, and that was hard for Abraham to do, but God said, okay, I'll let him go. I have Isaac. Now God says, now take your only son left, your only son Isaac, whom you love, from his wife, Sarah, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you. Notice that. It goes full circle now. Remember when we first met Abraham? If you're just tuning in, you, you, there's a lot of emotional background to this boy Isaac. There's a lot of emotional background here. I know that Isaac is a son. There's a lot of background here that, that adds a lot of thrust, a lot of emotion, a lot of, of, of like character development here that you have to know about. When we first met Abraham, the entire world was in disarray. Everyone spoke a different language. It was right after the Tower of Babel. No one spoke the same language. No one was seeking after God. Everyone thought they could reach God themselves, make God in their own image, become, and make a name for themselves. It seemed like the shalom of God in Genesis 1 and 2 would never, ever happen again. It would be impossible to get the peace of God back. But God calls out a moon-worshiping family out of Canaan to follow him. Genesis 2, it says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. There it is again. and goes full circle. Where do I go? I'm going to show you. See, from the entire life of Abraham, it was completely faith. I'm going to tell you once you get there. Just go and I will show you. We can actually coin that phrase um, in Genesis chapter 12. Go and I will show you. Go to the, the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. Now, pay attention. You have to get this. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God told Abraham two things when he first met, when God first met Abraham and Abraham, well, not when Abraham first met God, I should say. He said this, Abraham, I want you to leave everything. Leave everything behind. Then he said this, and I will bless you. Leave everything and I will bless you. Leave everything. God said, leave your country, your kindred, your father's house. Leave everything. God would give Abraham it all back. If you leave these things, I'm gonna give it back to you. So I want you to leave your country and I'm gonna give you a land, Abraham. Abraham. I'm gonna give you a land. Leave your land and I will give you a land. Leave your kindred and I will be your inheritance. Leave your kindred and your inheritance behind. I'm gonna be your inheritance. And leave your father's house. I'm gonna make you a father. Even though Sarah's getting old and you're getting old and she's barren and you can't have kids, I'm gonna make you a father. Okay, Abraham, I want you to leave everything. Leave everything. Go where I tell you to go. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you and you will bless others. I'm gonna bless the world through you, Abraham. Go and I'm gonna give you things. Now, at this point, Abraham had nothing to go on. He didn't really know the character of God. Up to this point, the character of God is shown through, as we've known it, Genesis 1 through 11. God has created the world, but the world has gone really bad. God has judged the world in a flood, and then God confused everyone's language. That's what Abraham has to go on. And he decides to follow this God still. There's not much about love and redemption yet. There's hints of it, but it's not explicit yet. God's going to actually make it explicit through this man. So he says, go, and Abraham follows. Now, what about all the details? God doesn't give him the details. He just says, go. Not where to go, not the details, just go, leave. And we actually, we we coined this little phrase where it says, go, and I will show you. Go, and I will show you where where you're gonna go. Just, Just walk in faith, and I'm gonna reveal to you as you move forward. So Abraham goes, he leaves everything, and he waits for that promised blessing. See, God said, leave, and I will bless you. Follow me and I will bless your life. And they do. And the blessing Abraham and Sarah are waiting for is a son. They want a son. Their error. See, in our culture today, we exalt individuality. Individuality is everything. We want to find ourselves, don't we? We want an identity that's ourselves. We want to be our own person. We don't want culture or family to dictate who we are. I am my own person. Individuality is everything in our culture. Even if you're a first Maybe even second generation, whatever, or from wherever, you want to find your identity, meaning leaving your family, leaving your family's church, leaving your family's things, maybe leaving your family's city, leaving your family's house. It's like, I need to find it for myself. I need an identity for myself. It's not about the family. It's about individuality. Our culture highly esteems individuality. In that same way, I know it's hard for you to think like this, but in that same way, this culture esteemed the family. This culture, family, was everything. So this culture, if you had no son, you had no life. You had no future. Who was gonna take the land? Who was gonna take all the stuff? Who was gonna take the name? It wasn't about me, me, me. It was about the family. And that's what they cared about the most. Abraham had no family. Abraham had no identity. And God said, I'm gonna give you a son. So Abraham waited. Five years, nothing. Ten years, nothing. 15, 20, finally at 25 years, 25 years after God called him, Abraham and Sarah, Abraham being 100, Sarah being 90, to have a son. And everybody laughed, as we talked about several weeks ago. And beyond all hope and against all odds, Abraham had a son. All he and his wife ever wanted, they got, finally. Everything they ever wanted. All that I really want, you might say, all I want is individuality. All I want to know, I want to make a name for my, I just want to be me. I just want to be me. I want my own way, my own life. I want my own job, and I, don't want, I want to be free. I just want to be me. And that might be your, the biggest desire, the biggest desire of your heart. For them, it was a family. We just want a family. That's all we ever wanted, and they get it. They get everything they wanted. Finally, Abraham was no fool for leaving everything to follow God. Finally, he was no fool. At 100 years old, he has a son. And then God says, give him up. See, this son Isaac was all the promises of God. Isaac was all the promises of God to Abraham. You have to realize who Isaac was. He wasn't just a son. It was the favor of God, the promise of land, the promise of a future, the promise of inheritance hinged on Isaac. Isaac was everything to Abraham. Abraham. Isaac was the future for Abraham. Isaac was the future for Israel. Isaac was the blessing and the gifts of God. Isaac was Abraham's career, his retirement, his nest egg, his future, his name, his dreams, his hope, and his love. Isaac was everything. In Isaac were everything Abraham and Sarah ever wanted and the gifts of God on display in their life. That's who Isaac was. So if you think that God was simply telling Abraham to murder his son, you're missing the entire story. God did not tell Abraham to murder his son. If God did tell Abraham to murder his son, he could have just grabbed a knife and cut and stabbed him and been done with it. He didn't say murder your son. He said, sacrifice your son. Give him up. Now I want you to realize something. If you get this, you'll understand the nature of the sacrifice. If you get this, you'll understand what, the, I, what I believe the Lord wants to speak to, to us through this text. Which actually I believe that the essence of this text is. If you get this, every other sacrifice, as it says on the screen, God has asked Abraham to make was, a, was balanced by a promise that, in a sense, made it worthwhile. So every other sacrifice God asked Abraham to make was was balanced by the promise that, in a sense, made it worthwhile. There was something to lose, but more to gain. Do you get that? Watch. Give up your land, and I'll bring you to a better land. Isn't that what he said to Abraham? Abraham, give up your inheritance, and I will be your inheritance. Abraham, give up your kindred, and I will give you a son. Abraham, if you give this up, I will give you something better. Every sacrifice that God called Abraham to was balanced with the promise. Everything. Now, pastors love to talk about this stuff. Whenever you're in and around, um, uh, you probably grew up hearing about this. Guys, if you give this up, God gives you better. Guys, if no one ever leads in like this, guys, you give your life to Christ, it's probably going to suck like bad like God's gonna call you to go somewhere and you're going to die I mean God will get the glory you'll get a footnote maybe people will will know about you what the church that you're from that those hundred people will like mourn for you but you will die if you follow God no one ever goes that way no one ever starts evangelistic things that way it's like follow God and who knows could be bad could be good nobody knows God could bless your life, give up everything for God, and what? I don't know. Like, it could go both ways. It's 50-50 at that time. Like, nobody really knows. Like, nobody says that. No one does. It's always this. Hey, you give up your life, your relationships, God will give you a better one. Hey, give up this, God will give you the best wife, the best house, the best car, the best family, the best life. God will bless you. I mean, you you get life, and life abundantly. That's, That's the way we talk. The stuff, the gifts. You want life? The gospel is this. You died and you're gonna die. You're gonna die, God's gonna give you life. You're gonna go to hell, God's gonna give you heaven. If you're gonna do, your life's gonna suck, God's gonna make it unsucky. That's the way we talk. That's the way that we share the gospel. Pastors love to say this. God will give you a wife and a family and a car and a life and a marriage and blessings. Maybe people just think, this is probably why people think I don't need religion or I don't need God. Like, I can get that stuff myself and I'm in debt to no one. I can get all that, all that stuff. I get a car and a house and a, and a job and money and a, and, and a, and a, and a, and a spouse. I can do all that myself and not be in debt to anyone. That's probably why people reject God. See, the question here that's hanging over this text is what has been motivating Abraham to follow God up to this point? What has been motivating him to follow God? Has it been the blessings? Is, is Abraham following God because Abraham has a barren wife? He's like, I, I, don't, I can't have a son. God's like, hey, I'll give you a son. You want to follow me? You want a better land? You want better things? Follow me. I'll give you the best. Is that why Abraham's following God? Here's the, here's, here's the fact. We don't know. Is that why he's following God? We don't know. Actually, I don't even think Abraham knows at this point. Has it been the blessings? Has it been the promises? I'll follow a God who will bless me, give me all I ever wanted. Who doesn't want to follow a God that will give you the perfect marriage and the perfect income and perfect kids and perfect life? Who doesn't want to follow that God? Is that why Abraham's been following God? For the benefits, for the promises. See, Abraham had built altars before and sacrificed to God on them in order to renew and be reminded of the promises of God. He sacrificed to God before to remind himself that God will give him a land, that God will give him a son, that God will bless his life. He's done that many times. But what God was telling him to do now was Abraham, are you willing to build an altar and sacrifice the promises themselves? Are you willing to sacrifice the promises themselves? See, what is following God really about? What is following God? Is following God really about what God gives you? Is following God really about the best that you can live? The best life that you can live? The best marriage that you can have? Is it really about that? Do you come here and go, my marriage is falling apart. I want the best marriage. I'm going to church. My life's falling apart. My relationships are falling I want the best relationship. I'm going to church. I want the best inner peace. I'm going to church. Is that why you follow God? For the stuff. Is that why Abraham was following God? For the stuff. Just the stuff. The blessings. God said, if I follow him, I get, stu- I get blessings. And he's going to bless the world. Is that why Abraham's following God? Nobody knows yet. Several years ago, I remember, actually, all too well, um, my, uh, my wife, Ashley, we've been dating a very long time actually through high school and so on and so forth. And um, I remember one one uh, time, years ago, she really, 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 really broke my heart. And I mean, I was, we were both really immature still, but whatever, you guys know when you have a broken heart, it hurts if you're 12 or, you know, 90, whatever, but... Um, so I remember where we were at. We were like in, cent- the, in the central coast uh, around Morro Bay or something like that. I get in the car and I drive away. I'm so hurt. I'm so angry. I'm angry at God. I drive away. I just, I, I can't even drive anymore. And I just, I park the car. I, I walk out um, in, on the middle of the street and I'm in the middle of this neighborhood. I don't know what the neighbors are thinking. So it's, it's really late at night. It's a clear night, but you can see tons of stars. And I start yelling. I start yelling at God out loud. God, why? And then I said, if you make me reconcile with Ashley, we're done. That's it. No more me and you, God. Like if you make me like reconcile, if you make me forgive, if you make me do, if you make me do what I think you're going to make me do, we're done. Like you and me, like it's been great. But this is, no, this is not happening anymore. I'm over you. I'm done with you, God. We are done. I mean, I'm yelling this out loud. I don't know what neighbors are thinking. I'm just yelling this, like, why? Like, we're done. I'm done with you. We're, we're, I'm at. And then, and then I've only heard um, God semi-audibly a couple times in in my life. This was one of them. My semi-audibly? I don't know if it was, whatever. So I, I heard God say just immediately, what will bring me the most glory? What will bring me the most glory? And that question has dictated a lot of my life from then. Is my life really about me? Is your life really about you? Is the Bible really about you? Is church really about you? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ really about you? Or is it about God? Is it about God and his glory? Is it about God and and what he's doing? How he's wrapping up everything to an expected glorious end? Or is it about you and your, I know it seems big, but your small life? What is it really about? Is it really about Isaac? Is it really about Abraham and all his blessings? Or is it about God? Would Abraham be willing to sacrifice the blessings of God for the sake of God? See, Isaac was the blessing of God the good things from God. It was, in a sense, God saying, will you give up the gifts for the giver? Does Abraham worship and follow God because of God and the good that God can bring him? Or does he follow God because he's the Lord? We're about to find out. Because God doesn't give Abraham any counterweight to the promise here. Every time before he said this, go and I will bless you. Do this and I will do that. I'm going to counterbalance it with the promise. But here he says, sacrifice your son. Wait, where's the counterbalance? Where's the, and then you will what? There wasn't, right? Hey, take your son and give him as a burnt offering. Dot, dot, dot. And then I will get a new son. (laughs) And then you will, what? then what? Where's the blessing? And there wasn't. There was just give them up. This is the nature of the test. The nature of the test was what is the motivating factor in our relationship with God? That's the nature of the test. What's motivating your relationship with God? Is it God himself or is it the benefits he provides and the hope he offers? Was Abraham using God for a means to have a son? That's the question that's coming up right now. Are we using God to heal from emotional breakdown? Are we using God to marry the right person? Are we using God to get or keep the right job? Are we using God to be a good American? I know not here. I mean, like other people listen outside of San Francisco on the podcast, so I had to throw that in for them, throw them a bone. Okay. I know that we don't, we don't like follow God to be a good American, but other people do. They follow God to be a good. I follow God because I'm a good American. And I know that's not here, but I'm just saying. I, I read this book a couple years ago, and it opens like this, called God is the Gospel by John Piper. He opens like this. The critical question for our generation, and for every generation, is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, and with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauty you ever saw, and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Let that one sit for a while. Because I think a lot of us would go, yeah, I think I would. I think I would. I think I'd take all that stuff if Christ wasn't there. This is the point. If you think about that. See, the the reason why we want heaven, not because of Christ, not because of Jesus, because of the stuff. The reason why we want life is not because of God, because of the stuff. The reason we want life is because we don't want death. The reason we want blessing is because we don't want cursing. See, if we're following God for a means to an end, that will kill us every single time. And sometimes it feels like God is killing us. Sometimes it feels that following God is like walking into God-forsakenness. Following God means, have you ever felt this way? I'm walking with you, God, but it feels like you're really against me right now. It feels like you're killing me right now. It feels like everything that's, that you are is against me. I thought you were loving. And kind. Of, why are you pulling this from me? Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this hurt? Why are you doing this? And all the while, God's just trying to take our hands off the grip of the world. Take our hands off the grip of my job. I love my job. My job's everything. God's like, okay, okay, okay let go of that. I, I, can't, I can't. Like, do you love me? I do, but I love this. Like, let go. I love this person, this relationship, this thing. And it becomes inordinate. It becomes wrong. This might have happened in Abraham's life with his son Isaac. God just feels like God's killing you when he's really trying to save you. You're grabbing onto something that's going to kill you. You're grabbing onto something that can never save you. There's a story of the rich young ruler in, in Luke chapter 18 that Luke tells. And this rich young ruler, you might have heard it, he, he has a lot of money a lot of possessions, a lot of land. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus... How do I get in? How do I inherit eternal life? How do I become a part of the kingdom of God right now and forevermore? How do I get in? And he was an observant Jew. And Jesus says, There's some of the commandments. He's like, I do those. uh, I'm in. He's like, Oh, go sell your land and give all your money to the poor. And this man walks away sorrowful because he had a lot of money. See, for a good observant Jew, they knew. That owning land was owning covenant land. And owning covenant land in Israel was a blessing from God. God blessed me with land. I own it. Having riches was the favor of God. If you had money and land, you were blessed of God. And this is what Jesus was asking this man Are you willing to give up the favor of God for God? Are you willing to give up the good things of God to get God? Is it the gifts that you're after, or is it God that you're after? And this man went away because it was the things. It was the gifts. It was the stuff. He wasn't open-handed. He wasn't like, here's my life. Here's my stuff. Take it. It's all God's. God is the goal. God is the center. God is the object of my faith, my desire. God is it. Take it all. A lot of us don't. It's really hard to live that way. And like Abraham, there are times when it feels like God is pulling these things away when he's really trying to save us. Saving us from making money and possessions and relationships and our kids and our jobs and being, as being the most important thing in our life. And the question that hangs over this test, and the question I want you to live with for a while, we might email it out or I want you to write it down, is this. This is the question that hangs over this, this test, the one that I've been dwelling in as I've been studying for this. Are you willing to follow God if there's nothing in it for you? Are you willing to follow God if there's nothing in it? For you, Doesn't that change everything right now? You're like, wait, whoa, nothing in it for me? I, I don't know about this religion. I don't know about this faith. I don't know about this Bible. Would we give God our lives if he gave nothing back but himself? What if we gave God our lives but the only thing that we got in return was God? That was it. We got God. Now, before Abraham was promised things, when he sacrificed here, he is called to sacrifice the promise, the very promise. Did Abraham pass the test? Now, the answer is, as we read, yes. He was willing. God was the object of his faith. He, in a very epic fashion, passed the test. He took his son early the next morning and set out to sacrifice him. Now, when they get to the mountain, the narrative slows down a lot and it says this. Then Abraham said to his, his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy are going to go over there and worship and come to you again. Why would, why would it say that? Why would it say the, the lad and I are going to come back to you again? Was Abraham lying? Was Abraham lying in, in Genesis 22 when it says that? Was he lying when it said, yeah, yeah I, we're going to go up to the mountain and the boy and I are going to come back to you again? Is, is Abraham just like saying, okay, I don't, want, I don't want to be found out if I just say he may or might not come back? I'm going to be back, but he may die up there. So, like, he, is he just giving him a lie so he doesn't get caught? No. And Abraham took the wood, verse 5, of the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So Abraham holds all the dangerous things, and he gives his son the wood. And they walk up to the mountain, and Isaac, so they're walking up this mountain, and Isaac is holding the wood. And as they're going up this mountain, it dawns on Isaac that we have the wood. That's good. We're going to worship God with wood. He has fire and a knife. Dad, where's the lamb? Like, we have everything to do this right, but no lamb. I don't know if this, like, was, like, the knife through Abraham's heart when his son asks this question. He doesn't lie to his son. What he does is he rolls the question back on to God. He says. In essence. I have no idea how this is going to play out. But I know God will provide. The thing that Abraham knew. Just in the last chapter. God told Abraham. Isaac is the son. In whom the promise is going to be fulfilled in. Isaac is the one. Isaac is the one. And all he knew was this. God called. God said Isaac is the one, and he's not married or doesn't have any kids yet, and he's called me to sacrifice them. How is God going to reconcile these two? I have no idea, but I'm going to obey God. So he goes up this mountain, and he says, listen, God's going to provide. The Lord will provide for us. And it was a three-day three day journey. It wasn't like the swift. He thought about this. He's lived with this. God can provide. God can do both. God can both bring about a sacrifice that he requires and bring about his promise. He can be a God who both looks for justice and has mercy. God can do both. How will God do both? I have no idea, son. Let's just keep going up this mountain. Let's keep... Going up this mountain and trusting God. How will God do this? I don't know. Does Abraham pass this test? Yes. How does he pass this test? By opening his hands and placing the resolution in God's hands. By saying, I don't know how this is going to take place, but God knows how this is going to take place. God will bring resolution here. God will reconcile all this. He doesn't know how. He knows that God knows. And that's enough. And that pushes him up the mountain. And they get there. They get to the very top. And Abraham builds an altar. He straps his son to him, to this altar. He grabs a knife. Now, a lot of people think that he would go for the heart. It would be his neck. That's how they sacrificed. So he's just about to cut his own son's throat, dismember him, and set him on fire. And the Lord says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by, the, by his horns. And Abraham went back and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, what would, have, what would Israel have heard when they recounted the story over and over again as they read the story on New Year's Day every year? As I recounted the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, what would Israel, what would the, the, the people of God first hear when they would have heard this story? They would have known this. Without Isaac, no Jacob. Without Jacob, no Israel. Without Israel, no us. Our grandfather was laid on the altar. He almost died. If he dies, we die. If he dies, no people of God. Zero, it ends there. And what does God do? saves their life, and instead takes a lamb or a ram. And so this idea of substitution comes in. That's played out in the Exodus again. Firstborn, they get a lamb. A lamb instead of them. A lamb instead of them. Over and over and over again. It's very important that you understand this. A lamb instead of them. A lamb instead of them. Over and over and over again. And then Jesus starts his ministry. He's born in miraculous fashion and he starts his ministry and John the Baptist, who is a prophet of God, who knew who Jesus was, who knew his identity before anyone else knew his identity, sees Jesus walking. He turns to his disciples and he says this in John 1:29. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's that lamb that every single lamb pointed to. There's the lamb that Abraham and Isaac, that lamb, that ram, that's pointed to him. See, this story, this story points forward. I hope that you're starting to see when you read the Bible, like, oh my gosh, this is Jesus, a lamb, a son, and a sacrifice. Like, are you seeing that when you're reading this? Like, there's a lamb, and there's a son, and there, wait, what is this story really about? This story is really pointing forward to the one who would take our place when we deserved it, when we deserved death, when we deserve to be on the altar and be a sacrifice, when we deserve that because of our sin, because of how, how, we, how we don't make God the object of our affection. Guys, none of us do. No, that, is so, that is such a burden. That, that the first half of this teaching, I know it was such a heavy burden. I'm like, guys, worship God for God. Your life might suck. Let's do this. Everybody's like, I can't do that. I will die. That's kind of the point. We can't. But the only thing that liberates us to actually do that is Jesus. You notice how at the end it says, Abraham, don't do that. Don't kill your son. I see now that you love me because you did not spare your son, your only son. How do we know that God loves us? Because God did not spare his son. His only son. First Peter three eighteen says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God." I want you to realize that the gospel is to bring us to God. Now, I I still I know I still can't get over this fact of God wanting Abraham to kill his son. That that just rubs me completely in, in a wrong way. It's just not good. I can't deal with it. Like in my mind, I'm like, I know it was a test, God, but why would you do that? And I think it maybe we're not supposed to get over it. Maybe it's supposed to be kind of horrific because it foreshadows the cross. Because it's supposed to show us how horrific it was, how horrible our sins were against God. That he killed his only son for us. Maybe we're supposed to sit in it a little while and go, God, why would you do that? Why would you tell Abraham to kill? I know that God does not condone child sacrifice. He hates it. It says that in in Deuteronomy. He hates it. Why would you do this? Why would you make Abraham go up to the mountain and and in his own mind, he had already sacrificed. His son was as good as dead. That knife was coming down. He, in his mind, killed his son. How would you do that? Because God would. Maybe it's supposed to be horrific to us. Maybe there's a part of the cross that's supposed to be appalling to us. It goes, God, you would kill your only son for us? Why? Because we are that bad and we are that loved. That's why. Who, he who did not spare his only son, Roman says, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously provide all Things. See that provision connection there? God will provide. How do we know God will provide? He's given you a son. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Church, can I just tell you that following Jesus is not the easiest thing in the world and it's not so you can have the best life ever. I just need to say that. There is tribulation when you follow Christ. There is distress. There is persecution. There will be famine and nakedness, danger, yes, even a sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor present things nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, we will go through difficult things. God will be to us like our, it will seem to us as our enemy, but all the while, he's purifying us. He's making us more holy. He's taking things out of our lives to make us more like him. He's getting it to where our object of our love and our affection is him and him alone. And all the blessings in our life, we can say like Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would teach us about you, that we would sit in this for a while. We would just maybe resonate, let this resonate in us, deep in us. I know that you're teaching us things about your character, things about who you are in Genesis. And and sometimes we just need to sit in it. Sometimes you need to let it challenge us and change us and argue with it and wrestle with it and, and surrender to it, God. I pray this church would be church of open hands. I pray for this church, Reality San Francisco, that you would make us a church with open hands, God. Open hands to the poor, to the needy, open hands to the rich, open hands to the, to the people who are in need of you, who need your help, your healing, open hands to what you call us to do, open hands to the things you want to remove from our lives. Open hands, God. We love you. Jesus' name, amen.